0: THE WAR IN THE SOUTH HISTORY STORIES COLLECTION Early in the Revolutionary War, British vessels made an attack on Charleston, South Carolina 1776, but Colonel Moultrie from his rude fort of palmetto logs gave them such a welcome that they were glad to get away, and for two years the British gave the southern colonies little trouble. But in 1778, another British army captured Savannah, Georgia. In 1870, the city of Charleston, South Carolina, with General Lincoln's entire army, surrendered to Cornwallis. Congress hastened General Gates to the south to check the British, but Cornwallis surprised Gates and cut his army to pieces near Camden. Nathaniel Green, the Quaker general, Washington now chose Nathaniel Green, the Quaker general, to go south, take command of the ar- American army, and to watch Cornwallis, who had just defeated Gates. Greene was born in Roger Williams' old colony and was ten years younger than Washington. His father was a farmer, a miner, and a blacksmith on weekdays, and a Quaker preacher on Sundays. As a boy, Nathaniel had plenty of hard work to do, and at 13 could only read, write, and cipher. But he was hungry for more knowledge and began to study Latin, mathematics, philosophy, and history. Besides, he made errand toys and sold them to buy books. His family got into a lawsuit, and Nathaniel took up the study of law. He was called the learned blacksmith. When Green saw that King George was likely to force the Americans to fight, he joined the militia and went to Boston to buy a musket, a very unusual thing for a man in Quaker dress to do. He hid the gun in his wagon. There he watched General Gage drilling British soldiers. He persuaded one of them to go with him to drill his company of Minutemen. When the stirring news from Lexington reached him, Green was among the first to start for Boston, and there Washington found him when he arrived to take command of the army. Greene was made one of Washington's generals and followed his great commander till Washington sent him to the south to win back that part of the country from Cornwallis. He found only a small army in North Carolina, but he knew the southern men would fight if they had a chance, for the backwoodsmen had just killed or captured 1,000 British soldiers at Kings Mountain. Besides, he had some of the bravest and ablest leaders in America to help him, among them Daniel Morgan, Francis Marion, William Washington, a cousin of General Washington, Henry Lee, called Light Horse Harry, and Thomas Sumter. Green divided his army into two parts. He took 1,000 men and marched into northeastern South Carolina, where Marion and Lee, with small bands of cavalry, stole upon the British outposts. In broad daylight, they charged pell-mell into Georgetown, captured the officer in command there, and got safely away before the British were over their fright. Green sent General Morgan and Colonel William Washington with 900 men into northwestern South Carolina to threaten some British posts and to encourage the Patriots in the mountains. Very shortly after this, Washington and his cavalry swooped down on a party of British soldiers and captured 250 of them. Cornwallis was now thoroughly roused and resolved to put an end to such events. He therefore ordered his favorite cavalry officer, Colonial Tarleton, to take 1,100 picked soldiers and capture Morgan and his men. Saratoga. His men did such splendid fighting that Burgoyne said to Morgan, Sir, you command the finest regiment in the world. Fighting in the woods of America, such a man was likely to be a match for any British officer. When Morgan heard of Tarleton's approach, he retreated to a good place for fighting called the Calpins, On the top of a long, rising slope, he placed the Continental troops men trained to fight in the rear he hid Colonel Washington and his cavalrymen. Some distance in front of the Continentals he placed the militia, with orders not to retreat till they had fared twice. In front of the militia, Morgan hid a company of deadly sharpshooters in the woods on the right and another company in the woods on the left. As soon as Tarleton's men came in sight, they charged pell-mell, thinking victory an easy manner. The militia and sharpshooters poured in their fare not twice but several times and retreated behind the Continentals, who now poured deadly volleys into the ranks of the oncoming British, and then made at them with their bayonets. Just at this moment, Colonel Washington's cavalry dashed out and struck the right flank of the Redcoats. In another moment, the militia, which had reformed and reloaded, rushed out and struck their left flank. Most of Tarleton's men threw down their guns and surrendered on the spot. Only 270 redcoats got away. Tarleton barely escaped after being wounded in a hand-to-hand sword fight with Colonial Washington. Tarleton was not admit, permitted to forget his defeat. In conversation one day, he remarked that he had never seen Colonial Washington. A patriotic lady present replied, ''If you had only looked behind you at the Battle of Cowpens, you would have had that pleasure.'' On another occasion it is told that Tarleton said to a lady in a sneering way that he understood Colonel Washington was so ignorant he could not even write his own name. This lady looked at Tarleton's wounded hand and said, You certainly carry proof that he can at least make his mark. The defeat of Tarleton. At the Cowpens roused Cornwallis, he destroyed all his heavy baggage and started in hot haste after Morgan. But Morgan knew a thing or two and marched for the fords of the Catawba River as soon as the battle was over. There Green joined him, and away the armies went for the Yadkin River. Green had brought along boats on light wheels and had no trouble in crossing, but Cornwallis had to march up the river to his army could wade across. Green was already on his way to the Dan which he crossed into southern Virginia. General Morgan now broken in health by long years of hard fighting retired to his home. Soldiers rest in the Shenandoah Valley. After the war was over his neighbors elected him to Congress where he gave hearty support to President Washington. When Daniel Morgan died, he was followed to the grave by the largest procession that the valley had yet seen. The people who had come from near and far witnessed a touching sight. They saw seven gray-haired veterans with old rifles in their hands stand beside the grave of the hero and fare a military salute. They were the last of that hardy band of 96, which had marched with Morgan to Boston to join Washington nearly 30 years before. This was their last military farewell. The Battle of Guilford Courthouse General Greene won a victory by retreating. He and his army were still among friends, and his army was growing. Cornwallis was hundreds of miles from his supplies and from reinforcements. After a few weeks, Greene crossed back into North Carolina and fiercely attacked Cornwallis at Guilford Court House and killed or wounded one-fourth of his army. Cornwallis claimed the victory, but instead of attacking Greene, he marched his army rapidly to Washington on the seacoast and from there marched into Virginia, where Washington and Lafayette caught him in a trap at Yorktown. Green turned back to South Carolina, where the British still held Charleston and a few other towns. The British lost so many men at Hopkirk's Hill and at Utah Springs, their last important battles in the South, that they were compelled to retreat to Charleston, where they were when the news from Yorktown put an end to serious fighting. General Greene's work as a soldier was done, besides the medal presented to him by Congress for the Battle of Utah Springs. South Carolina, as a token of affection, gave him a large sum of money and the state of Georgia a beautiful plantation on the Savannah River, where he died in 1786. Greene's fame as a soldier of the Revolution stands next to that of Washington burgoyne but morgan was not the kind of man to be caught napping when a young man he he had fought the french and indians on the virginia frontier he was at braddock's defeat he had once knocked a british officer down for striking him in an indian fight he had been shot through the neck and thought himself dying but to escape being scalped locked his arms tightly around his horse's neck while the horse ran wildly through the woods at the head of a company of ninety-six Virginia backwoodsmen, Morgan had marched six hundred miles in twenty-one days and joined Washington at Boston. Later, Washington sent him to join in the capture of.